the Bear Essentials podcast gives older bears a place to gather for real talk regarding topics and issues that they can relate to. Here at the Bear Essentials, we aren't just having conversations. We are looking to provide actionable intelligence through real-life experience and expertise of our guests. Our mission is to build a strong community that elevates and motivates people to go beyond their limiting beliefs by helping them realize that getting older is not an excuse to hibernate on their goals, but a reason to work harder. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I am your host, Charles Wallace. Today's guest has had a long and distinguished career in the sports media and entertainment industry. A journalist who started out as a beat writer for multiple newspapers and an original sports talk radio personality. He is a pioneer here in the Philadelphia area and has paved the way for many sports talk radio personalities who have followed. I am so excited to have him today to talk sports and his career in the industry. So without further ado, let's welcome Sports Talk Radio 94 WIP's Glenn Macknow. But first, a word from our sponsor. The Bear Essentials Podcast is sponsored by Fire Beast Jerky. With flavors ranging from Tropical Flare to Sweet Reaper, Fire Beast has something for all jerky lovers. And with over 30 years of experience making small batch big flavor jerky, Fire Beast is sure to deliver quality, affordable jerky directly to your doorstep anywhere in America. So head on over to firebeastjerky.com and be sure to use code BEAR10 at checkout and receive 10% off your order from Fire Beast, the heat that is sweet. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. How are you? I'm great. So nice to be with you today. Yeah, Glenn, thanks. I appreciate it. I've been a fan for a long time. I've listened to you throughout the years on sports radio. And, you know, it's it's always been a pleasure. I love the insights you bring. And, you know, for the most part, it's usually always a positive experience for me when I'm listening <laughs> to your broadcast. So so thank you. I'll settle for usually. That's OK. Yeah, well, more the guests, not you. <laughs> That's fine, Charles. I appreciate it. So, Glenn, for my audience who may not be familiar um, with you, can you just give a little bit of a background on yourself? Sure. Um, I was born in New York City, raised in Buffalo, New York, went to college in Boston, started my career as a newspaper guy, not covering sports. I covered politics and cops and city councils and investigative stuff. I went from Fort Lauderdale, Florida to Detroit. I came to the Philadelphia Inquirer in 1980, the very end of 1986. I worked as a sports business writer at the Inquirer for seven years. And then as WIP began to grow and hire um, newspaper guys, first with Angelo and then uh, Angelo Cataldi, Al Morgani followed, then it was Mike Missinelli, and then the opportunity came up. So in December 1993, I moved to Sports Talk Radio, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Yeah, I, you know. I'll, I'll continue. I write books. Um, I um, make and sell beer uh, and keep myself busy. Yeah, awesome, Glenn. I mean, you're you're definitely a staple. Obviously, a lot of folks that watch my show they know I'm in you know from the Philadelphia area, and you are definitely a a staple in this area. And you know, we're we're lucky to have you. I'm glad you you made your way here. So really Thank grateful you. for that. Um. Glenn, I wanted to talk about, I thought it was interesting. One of the big reasons I want to have you on, obviously, I'm I'm a little older myself. Uh, you and I may be around the same age. But 
I wanted to kind of talk about how things have changed so much, right? From what going from print, you know, with the technology, you know, sports talk radio, things like that. Could you kind of talk us through that evolution as someone who actually lived it? Sure. Um, I figured I was going to be a newspaper guy forever. And when I joined the Inquirer, God, the paper was great. It was winning Pulitzer Prizes year after year. The resources were amazing. I used to do these special projects that would give me a month to work on a, an investigative piece. The paper was fat. I mean, it was, it was great. I thought I'd do that my whole life. Um, but I began to see in the 1980s that newspapers were in some bit of trouble. That obviously got worse when the Internet came about and people started um, getting used to free content when other advertising sources came around and, and um, people would put their personal ads on Craigslist. So the newspaper, movies uh, stopped, ad movie theaters started advertising the paper. It got tough in the newspaper business. Sports talk radio was a sudden thing. Um, WIP was the second station in the country. So when I joined there, it was still a baby and it was fun and it was growing and we were figuring it out making mistakes, but loving it. Again, I've been privileged to do that for 29 years and still am, but know that in the last few years, things have really changed. The advent of social media has changed uh, everything. And now people want it in a tweet, people want it on an Instagram, and you better say it in 200 characters or less. And that's been a real change too. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. It's almost like this you know, we're instant gratification society. And I think that's even how we consume our information when it comes to sports or, or whatnot. Now, from a, from a writer's perspective, how much of an adjustment was that for you? Someone who really had to dig deep and do that. Was that a big change to be able to condense it all? Um, the tough, the tougher part was talking for four hours a day. You're talking about when I started. Um, I had been a newspaper reporter for 15 years, and it, I loved it, but it was a good time to give it up. I had done it. If I had never done it, I would have felt I'd missed something. But I did it for 15 years. I wrote a lot of stories. I was ready to move. And again, after I left, I started writing books, so I got to keep writing. But the tough part was, and I know this sounds silly, but having the energy to talk for four hours a day and having enough stuff to talk about. Um, it's much harder than it seems. And I certainly, listen, the last thing I'm going to do is gripe about my job because I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who gets paid to talk about sport, go to games, talk about them, watch TV and drink beer. This is what I get paid to do. So I am not complaining. But the challenge of, of talk radio, and it's not just sports talk, but any talk radio is to make it seem seamlessly easy. It's not. Um, and my great friend, Angelo Cataldi, who just retired, worked harder than anybody in the business to make it look easy. Um, but it's it's work. It's uh, you got to create a lot of content. Glenn, so I've always kind of suspected that throughout the years. And funny, a few years back, Angelo had me in studios for another thing I did. I had created some T-shirts and he liked the T-shirt mm -hmm. and he literally said, come on in. I want to talk to you. We know Angelo. Right. And 
And I could kind of see that day how much more went into all this than than I ever thought behind the scenes. So so what what's it like, number one, to prep for that, you know, consistently? And then is the amount of work at least similar to when you were when writing and being a reporter? Is it a big difference or is it similar? Um, I mean, the workload is probably similar. The number of hours I put in a day, and my wife will tell you it's probably more than she wishes. Um, the prep work is, um, listen, the prep work is you watch games, you talk to people, you read, you try to come up with ideas that haven't been done 20 times before. Um, you get yourself ready to um, handle opinions that will be different and maybe um, disagreeable, confrontational, whatever. Uh, you, you book guests. Again, it's, it's work. I don't, I don't want to say it's work. It takes time, but I never consider any of it work. I'm really lucky to be what I'm doing because if any of that sounds like work, I don't know. Um, I spent 20 minutes today in conversation with a guy who was unloading um, beer off of a truck. And we talked for a good long time. He's got work. He goes home. He's tired. He's sore. Um, I go home. I'm great. So... None of it's work. All of it's fun. And Glenn, I think that's why we enjoy it so much, because I think guys like you and Angelo, I think you do a really good job making it seem easy. Right. I think that might also be why we all like it so much. Right? I think you're bringing us along for that fun ride. And I want to compliment you for one thing, too. Obviously, it's not just always sports. I've always felt that you've done a really good job on the radio as I, I've looked at you as one of the people as a host who I felt has always had the caller. You were always very respectful, regardless of if it was a if there was a disagreement, if the topic may have been a little bit of a hotter topic. I, I just I thought that was really, really good the way you handle situations. And I think that's why I've enjoyed listening to you so much over the years. So thank you for that. Well, it's nice of you to say. And I mean, my thought on that is. If they're taking the time and effort to call me, even if they're calling me to tell me I'm a numbskull, um, they're listening to me and they think enough of me to tell me I'm a numbskull, as opposed to just saying that that guy's an idiot and turning off the station. At least they're charged up enough to do it. So unless somebody gets really nasty, personal, well beyond the bounds, um, I will... Yeah, I try not to hang up on people or or be rude to people. And by the way, I had to learn that when I first came on the air and I wasn't used to the nature of the business and somebody would call me up to say, you idiot, you don't know anything and so on. I would be very offended and I would hit the button to hang up on them. Uh, and in part working with Jody McDonald, who's a terrific co-host, he kind of taught me to respect people even when they disagreed with me. So I didn't know that immediately, but I think I learned that over time. And that's wise advice from Jody for any aspect or any job we do. I mean, I, I am, unfortunately, I'm ashamed to admit it. I, I had to learn that myself in jobs that I've done. It wasn't always that way. I've, I've always liked to maybe not fly off the handle, but I'd be, I'd be quick to get confrontational. And I've learned as I've gotten older that that's not 
not the best way to handle things. So um, that's yeah, you got you got to mellow with age, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you mentioned Jody. I would that was actually going to be my next question. You you've had the opportunity over the years to work with some really interesting and amazing co-hosts. Um, I want you to talk about that a little bit, about some of your co-hosts and, you know, some of the, some of the guests that you guys have had on together. Sure. I mean, I'm lucky. I've, I've, I've worked with some terrific partners um, who have carried me at times. I mean, uh, if you want to start at the beginning, yeah, Jody would be the first one. And when I got paired with Jody, um, that was, Jody was enjoying working solo. He was used to working solo. WIP at the time decided it wanted to. This was uh, December 93, which is when I moved to the station. The program director decided that he liked shows with two hosts. He thought that mm. that was that was better. And Jody, I think, was doing two uh, excuse me, three hours. And he wanted to move it to four hours. It's four hours a long time to ask somebody to work solo on the radio. And so he put me with Jody and I know initially Jody was skeptical. I mean, he didn't, he didn't know me. We had met a couple of times and it took us a while to develop chemistry, but I learned a lot from Jody. I learned from Jody um, how to handle callers. As we said, I learned from Jody that if you have a self-deprecating sense of humor on the radio, people will appreciate that. Jody's great because Jody's a smart guy who is smart enough to make fun of himself. Mm. If that makes any sense. Um, so that was a great thing I learned from him. You know what else I learned from Jody? I learned from Jody that you're always on even when you're not on. Because before I had this job, I mean, nobody knew me. I was a newspaper guy and people don't really know those guys, most of them. And I realized with Jody how nice he was to people off the air. Mm. Uh, what a gracious person he was. And I don't want to say that I was ingracious or an SOB, but I learned that when you're that person on the radio, on TV, anytime you go anywhere, people have the opportunity to see what you're really like. And so show your best side. Um, so all those things I learned from Jody. Jody's an amazing guy because he's got this retentive mind. I mean, he his basis of sports knowledge is astounding. He can tell you that third line left winger for the LA Kings, you yeah. know, and everything like that. Uh, but he can also be very entertaining. So that was that, you know, the, the one I'll talk about next is my good friend, Ray Didinger. Mm. Um, and Ray and I had the opportunity to spend 21 years working together on the radio. Uh, we knew each other casually beforehand. We'd been in some press boxes together, but we didn't, didn't really know each other. And, and, um, when I started working with Ray, it was something that clicked immediately. It was like hanging out with your friend uh, over a beer at the bar, or Jody, or excuse me, uh, Ray doesn't drink beer, so over a coffee at the start, or actually Ray doesn't drink coffee, over a Diet Coke at the, uh, at the Wawa, whatever. That's, you know, but just I felt like Ray and I developed a friendship and chemistry that it never felt like we were doing work. It always felt like you were sitting down for a few hours to hang out with your best friend. And so we are lucky enough that that translated to the radio and people enjoyed listening to it. Yeah. So can I ask you one question about Ray? Is his prep as legendary and as involved as, <laughs> as we hear? 
anything you hear about Ray is true. Like people never believe it. Like, come on, he has to have a cell phone. No, he doesn't have a cell phone. Come on, he must type things in a computer. No, he really writes them on yellow legal pads. Um, I took a picture when Ray and I uh, did a show together last week before the Super Bowl, and Ray had in front of him four yellow legal pads and three magazines and a bunch of newspaper clippings that he had, you know, cut out with the scissors. It's so old school, but it's just so, so beautiful. Yeah. And I asked you that question because of that picture. I saw that picture. Yeah. And it just it brought me back um, when I was a, when I was a kid in grade school. Uh, we used to have the inquiry delivered to the house. And. I'll just never forget coming down in my PJs and like second, third grade, I'd open the door and I'd grab the inquire, take the sports section and sit there with my fruity pebbles and read the sports section. And it just kind of, it kind of took me back there a little bit. And I just, I, I really appreciated it. So that was, that was, that was nice. We all started that way, right? We mm -hmm. all started that way. I did exactly the same thing, man. I did. It's, and it's why we love sports uh, and it's what got us into sports. And in my case, it's what got me into writing. And um, so, you know, those are golden things for me. And Ray, Ray, I know is exactly the same. Ray, Ray was that kid too. So Glenn, I wanted to ask you a, a part that's always interested me is being a host of a show. How difficult is it sometimes to toe the line as far as being an actual fan and then remembering you're trying to host a show? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, Charles, and, and this will bring Ray in, too, because Ray always said that once he started covering it, now, it's a talk show host and a newspaper guy are different. A newspaper guy really can't be a fan. If you're a columnist, if you're a reporter, that's your job to call it as as you see it. I don't want to use the word objectively because you have to have an opinion. Right. But your opinion is not based on being a fan. In Ray's case, there was always that little part of him in childhood that he suppressed and did it effectively. We all saw it come out after the Super Bowl in that famous moment with his son. When I was uh, writing for the Inquirer, or before that for the Detroit Free Press, I was very much able to put that on hold. Yeah. Inside, was I rooting for the Phillies and the Eagles? Yes. Was I very careful to make sure that did not reflect in my coverage? Absolutely. They're not paying me to be a fan. I have to not be a fan. You have to be critical. If there's something going on with the team that's not right, you have to report it or a player or whatever. That's your job. And you learn to do that, and I and I think I was able to do it. On the radio, it's kind of a 50-50 thing. Mm. People listen to WIP, want us to be like them. It's kind of like – I'll give you an example in a, in a slightly different field. Merrill Reese does a great job calling the Eagles games. Merrill will tell you when the Eagles are screwing up. Merrill will, will let you know when he's unhappy. But you know inside that Merrill's there with you, hoping in the end that they're going to win. And I think that's what it's like in my job. Listen, I, you know, I'm, I was fully a booster for the Phillies in the World Series, the Eagles in the Super Bowl, and so on. Um, but I'll also tell you when things are, when things are bad. I'm not paid to weigh pom-poms. Um, but I am paid to feel like the fans do as well. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, definitely. And Glenn, the other thing from a fan, a fan perspective, one thing that I always think about you 
when I hear your name or I'm listening to your show is I feel like I know your dad somewhat. Yeah. And I think, I think that's done a great job of, I mean, listen, sports are for everybody, but I do think it's sometimes a little more special, the bond it creates for fathers and sons. And I do, I get a little emotional. Like when the bills didn't win, I, I literally felt bad for your father. <laughs> like, I, like, and I met like when that game ended, I felt, Literally, he was one of the first people I thought about was like, and you showed the picture of him in his jersey. And yeah. Like, you know, I, I really hope they get one soon. I want them to win one. You know, like how how much is that relationship with sports and your dad? How important is that for you? I appreciate that very much. Um, yeah, my dad's 92. Um, a few years back, my folks lived in, in Buffalo, which is where I grew up. My mom started to get sick and we realized that we needed to move them near us. They didn't, they, you know, my sister lives in California. It's like they needed to live near one of the kids. So we moved my parents here. Uh, they live about three miles away from me. In a, or they, my mom passed away, um, but my dad lives in a, in a great continuing care community called the Quadrangle. Um, so I'll get back to your question in a moment, but I'll also just kind of reflect on being um, a sports talk show. Uh, host and it and I guess it does get to what you're talking about. The people who listen to my show share the experience I do that, that maybe you did that people did, which is sports is something that's handed down from generation, fathers to sons and mothers to daughters. And now I get to enjoy it a little bit. My grandsons are just getting the age where they kind of get it right. And got the two year old. I got the two year old to do a fly eagles fly the other day. It was phenomenal, right? Mm -hmm. He's two. It was great. Um, and so I think people, um, when I talk about my dad, it's it's their shared experience, too. In terms of our family, the funny thing is my dad was a very casual sports fan. My dad grew up in New York City in the 30s and 40s, and he was, he was more of a baseball fan. He was a Yankees fan um, than he ever was a football fan. When I was eight years old or seven years old, I saw my first football game and I said, Dad, we got to go. And I dragged him to his first game. Years later, he and my mom became season ticket holders. It became a huge part of their lives. So I take pride in being one of the few people who can say, no, I didn't get football from my dad. I gave football to my dad. Mm -hmm. But he loves it. Um, as you say, he's a long-suffering Bills fan. And um, the first thing he said when that game ended and they got knocked out of the playoffs in such a disappointing way was that's okay. We'll get them next year. And he has repeated that to me for the last 55 years. Yeah. I got to tell you, since we got ours here in Philadelphia, there, there is a part of me that I, I'd be pulling for them somewhat and hope your dad gets to experience that. I got to be honest. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, um, I've always been like that. Even with baseball, when the Red Sox finally won, the Cubs finally won. I was like, I was like really happy. I was like, Oh my God. All, all I could think about was the older generation of fans. And I was like, they got it. They finally got it. And hearing those so, stories, it just makes me, makes me happy. So I hope he. So, so I had one things. of those. So my wife's uncle, Bob, my wife's from Boston mm. and my wife's uncle, Bob uh, was getting older. And he always, he always said, all, uh, if the, all I need is the Red Sox to win and then I'll die happy. And he always said that. And they never won. And when the Red Sox finally won, six months later, he passed away. Wow. And <laughs> there was a part of me that thought, like, well, if they had never won, maybe he'd still be with us. But but he died happy. 
Yeah, you know, and Glenn, I, I kind of feel it, though, because even like, I got to be honest, I was at the point where I was thinking, I, I don't think I'm ever going to see the Eagles win a Super Bowl, right? When they finally win the Super Bowl, and I know this isn't everybody, and again, it could be because I'm older now. I'm still, you know, it's not as, I guess the urgency kind of lessens yeah. somewhat. I get it. Always, no matter what happens now, I'll always have the Brandon Graham strip sack. You know, yeah. I'll always have that. So, so I, I get it. Um, so Glenn, I know being in the industry, you've always you've gotten to interview some really interesting people. Uh, not to put you on the spot, if you had to pick one person, who would you say most interesting interview you've had? I don't know that it's an interview, but I'll tell you that my favorite person is in 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 terms of media, my favorite sports personality is Charles Barkley, and it, it might be an easy one to pick, but let me give you a couple of Charles Barkley stories, both true. Uh, neither on the radio. And I, I've had him on the radio, but both my stories are outside the radio, but it tells you what a great guy he is. Uh, I live in Havertown. Um, there used to be a restaurant near me on Lancaster Avenue called um, Al E. Gators, which was... Um, kind of like a TGI Fridays kind of place. And when my kids were really young, we would take our kids there and, you know, it was, it was good for them, but they also had a bar uh, on one end of it. And one day, uh, one evening we're there, my wife and I and our two little kids and Charles is in the bar with his wife and a friend or two, uh, just, you know, and just being by himself, enjoying himself. And there was a woman who was having a birthday party for like a, maybe an eight-year-old boy and his buddies and they're over at a, a table all these little boys you know getting excited and she goes over to the bar and very politely says charles i don't i'm sorry to bother you i know you're with your family but it's my little boy's birthday and if you could just come over and wish him happy birthday it would so make his night and his year and so charles goes oh where is he and he gets real loud and performative and goes over there like who's the birthday boy and starts talking and puts on one of those little pointy party hats and he's giving the kid noogies. And I'm telling you, Charles, this is true. 20 minutes later, he is sitting at that table with all those little boys joking around and his poor wife is over at the bar, like, right. <laughs> but it's just like, what a great guy he was. And here's the other one. Um, what year was it? Uh, it was the year that the NCAA championship basketball champions were in uh, Atlanta. I don't, don't remember what year it is like maybe 10 years ago. Um, and uh, it was over and we're flying home and I get to the airport and Charles happens to be flying to Philadelphia. So he just happens to be at the same gate as me. And um, I, I said, hello. Uh, and that was about it. And he's with Jim Gray, the broadcaster, and having some sort of argument about something, some debate about something in the, in the final game. And a woman just walks over, um, middle-aged woman. And I think she wants his autograph and he turns away and says, what's your name? And she goes, I'm, you know, uh, Becky from Omaha. And he says, well, Becky from Omaha, Jim Gray says that the, the Duke university got screwed in the final game by the referees. I don't think so. What do you think? And she goes, uh, well, um, I agree with you, Charles. And he goes, aha, see, Jim, she agrees. And he's loud. And because he's Charles Barkley, people are coming over. And he starts basically being the MC or the host for the whole crowd. He's going, like, you know, what's your name? I'm Charles from Swarthmore. Well, Charles from Swarthmore, what do you think? 
and and by the way, Jim Gray wanted no part of this mm-hmm. and kind of went over and sat by himself. And meanwhile, Charles is engaging all these people who for the rest of their lives will remember the time they were in the Atlanta airport with Charles Barkley. That's what makes him my favorite guy. Charles Barkley, Bernie Perrant, uh, Charlie Manuel. Uh, that's that's the short, that's the top of the list for me. And I have to share this with you because you said his name, Bernie Perrant. Love him. Greatest. I'm a kid working in a sporting goods store called Dennery Sporting Goods. It's on Kensington Ave under the L. Still don't know why, Glenn. Guy comes in, getting close to closing. He needs to pick up hockey sticks. Has the accent. And I'm, I think there's Bernie Perrant. I finally go to the side. I say, I'm like, you Bernie Perrant. Glenn, he looks around. He goes, shh, I'm running late. And he hands me a $20 bill. classic that was it i check him out he leaves and i find out years later my uncle is like really good friends and they golf together so one time we're at a wedding and i got to kind of share that story back and i don't know if he remembered it totally or not but i just i never forget it it stuck out to me but yeah it's just amazing what um meeting some of your idols and your what they just what you see you know it's just and listen i've i've seen situations where though meeting your hero can be a big disappointment i've seen it happen mm-hmm. uh with some of the people i've covered and how they treat people but a guy like bernie perrant um and, and you know, i gave you the charles story and charlie Manuel is another will always always be gracious and just make that person's day yeah it, it sure it sure did for multiple reasons. Now I can tell people I met Bernie, and he also, as a kid, twenty bucks was twenty bucks, right? Glenn, yeah. they, they went a long yeah. way back then. Covered more than those sticks, right? Yeah, right. Um, so Glenn, the other thing outside of sports radio, I want to ask you. I I have it. I'm lucky. I get to talk to a lot of authors on the show, and they all seem to have this one thing about hey, writing a book is really really difficult. I wanted to ask your experience. How how do you feel about that? most fun I can have. I love it. Um, listen, I, I love talking for a living. I do, but I love writing. It's funny because, um, I was talking to Angelo Cataldi about this. Angelo just retired from WIP. I went in to, um, pay my respects and pay tribute on the air and ended up talking to him off the air about what he plans to do. And he wants to write his memoirs. And he and I agreed because he, he and I worked at the Inquirer. We worked together. We wrote stories together some people may feel that way to me there's nothing more fun than writing i love the process i love the process of organizing it i love the process of rewriting i love the process of putting a sentence on on paper well not on paper anymore on my computer Mm. and then making it better and making it shine um I, i i respect those people who say it's hard because it's not easy but the hard is what makes it great. The hard is what makes it fun. If it was easy, it wouldn't be fun. I'm stealing a line from Paul Durham there, by the way, which which he said about baseball. If mm. it was the, the hard part is the fun. And that's how I feel about writing. And it's it's something that I said earlier to you again, I think, and it shines through, Glenn. I think in sports talk, I think what you write, you're you are having fun. But I think again, that's allowing us to enjoy it even more. So again, I think that's 
it's just something about you, Glenn. You bring the fun to what you do and you allow us to experience it. So it's a it's a great thing. Um so talking on the radio, people don't get to see you. I know you've now been on stage. That's, that's to their benefit. <laughs> now you've been on stage. Yeah, and I have a TV show, by the way. Yeah, how how different is it now? No, just not just talking on the radio where you know no one's really seeing you, but now if you're on a stage or you're on camera, how different is it? Um, TV is like radio. Um, I don't after ten seconds, I don't notice the cameras, and I don't think about the cameras. Um, TV is uh, is fun and I'm blessed to have a, a beer show that I do. I mean, again, they pay me to talk about beer, right? What's, what's more fun than that? Um, so I get to do that. Stage is different. Stage is really a challenge because you're in front of a live audience and that's different. A camera and a microphone is the same thing, but an audience is, can be a little intimidating. And when I'm doing TV or radio, the words are mine. I'm making them up as I go along. Right. Mm. And I'm thinking what's in my mind and saying it, whether it's brilliant or stupid, it's mine and it belongs to me. When I'm on the stage, I'm reading somebody else's line and I have to do them correctly in order with other people. I can't screw up the other actors on stage. That's challenging. And every time I do it, it's still scary to me. I get stage fright every time I go on before a live audience. Uh, but then I get the rush of mm -hmm. doing it. And once I'm out there, my adrenaline picks up. And while I do find it a little bit intimidating, God, I love that the best. That's I just love doing it. And I'm hoping to get the chance to do it some more. Yeah, well, more power to you, Glenn. I mean, I think it's amazing that you you are doing that. Again, I just I applaud you for stepping out and doing all the things you do. And that segues into kind of how I wanted to end this. We talked a little bit about it. You've mentioned it, but hell, I figured it'd be fun. Let's end with with beer and some of that and your your brewery, that kind of stuff. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I'm one of the co-owners of the Conch Hawk and Brewing Company. Um, we started in 2014. We've now got uh, four brew pubs. We're sold um, in Pennsylvania, up to the Lehigh Valley, down into Delaware, down to the Jersey Shore. So that's our footprint. Uh, I got involved because a friend of mine um, who I always enjoyed drinking beer with used to, we'd go out for beers once in a while. And, and he got me into the craft beer scene, finding really fun, interesting beers, local beers mostly. And he would always say, you know what, someday we should own a brewery. And I'd go, yeah, sure. And then we'd go out, you know, a few months later, I say, someday we'll start our own brewery. And I go, okay, Andy, just order another round. And then one time we went out and he said, someday we're going to do a brewery and it's now. And mm -hmm. he had found a, a terrific brewer, a guy who had been at yards, went out west. Uh, his wife had gotten pregnant and wanted to come back east. So the timing was perfect. Um, he had found somebody who was able to invest a little more than the rest of us, which you know, we need a, you need a lot of money mm. to get the thing started. Uh, we had found a location and we opened the Concha Hawk and Brewing Company. And um, again, I, I get to, to, to I get a seat at the corner, uh, the corner seat at the bar anytime I want to go in and I get to talk about beer and it's a blast. They don't let me make major decisions on the beer, which is smart. Uh, or I'm not allowed to, to have any say with the finances, but I help with the marketing and the PR and connections. 
Uh, I put together a couple of deals where we did a, a beer with Mark Zumoff, and then we just did a Maryland Mike beer mm. uh, during the football season for charity. And I think I am hopeful we're going to be doing a similar thing during the baseball season. And um, I mean, what can be more fun than this? So I love it. I, I've always liked good beer. And so I, my involvement with beer is just a blast. And all, as you were saying that, all I could think, and it's where everybody knows your name, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's it. And it's, I, I, listen, I watched Cheers back in the day and uh, I don't know that I wanted to be Norm, but uh, you know, being one of the guys at the bar, maybe Frazier, I don't know which one of those guys I would want to be, but yeah, right? it's nice to be there. Yeah. Well, Glenn, I, um, I just, I can't thank you for being gracious enough to spend some time with me today. This has been such a, a blast for me. Um, I, you know, I, I've, I have the opportunity. I have a lot of serious topics on and to try to just kind of have a little more fun sports related conversation with somebody who I truly, I mean, this idolize and respect. I, I appreciate that a lot. So thank you so much. Hey, Charles, it's my pleasure. And uh, thank you. And uh, thanks to your audience. Yeah. Well, everyone, thanks for watching. Uh, I'm going to add some links in the uh, broadcast notes. So that the show notes for places you can see Glenn, some of his books, things like that. So make sure to support Glenn Mack now. He is a treasure to the Philadelphia area. And uh, trust me, you won't regret it. So thanks again, everyone. Bye. This has been The Bare Essentials. Thanks for listening. And remember, never hibernate on your goals.